All right. Uh, so we've been talking about worship, and we've hit, I think this is week six already. Um, I believe that this series will have a chance to be the longest we've ever done. I think the longest we did, I think last year we did a series in the book of Acts, and I believe that went eight weeks long. We have a chance to kind of rival that a little bit. We'll see what happens. But this week, we're going to change gears a little bit. We're still talking about worship, but the nature of this message is somewhat different than pretty much all the other ones we've done. See, when I have a handheld, I can't smoothly open my water. I have to. What are you saying about me? So I have a heckler in the front row if you can't hear her. I have a heckler. I have a click track over here with my brother over here. Perfect timing, the entire service. I'm not sure if you guys hear that, okay, but he keeps the worship team the entire time. <laughs> right, come on. Oh, my goodness. It's so good that it just starts to get into your ear. I mean, I was worshiping, like, oh, Jesus, and I'm just... Anyways. You guys are more spiritual than I am, I guess, because you guys aren't laughing. All right, but anyways, for me, it's distracting, but we love him. He's part of the team. Um, there's one thing that we all have, okay? There's one commodity that we all carry around. There's one thing of value, of worth, that... It doesn't matter what, what status or color or age you are. We all have this valuable thing that we, that we each treasure. It's the one thing that we each have that we cannot add to, we cannot take away from. It's time. And with time, it is what... How do I explain this? Time has the ability to take something ordinary and make it special, to make it extraordinary. It's, it's, this, it's this understanding that we only have this much of it. When you, have, when you have something of anything, when you have a small amount of it, it's what makes that thing valuable, precious. And as humans, there's something we have that is more precious than anything, time. And what happens in this world is even though, you know, even though there, are, there are people who have large amounts of resources, and influence, and money, and things like that. There's one thing that everyone is always trying to account for, always trying to get more of. Again, it's this thing. It's, it's time. When you look at your life, when you look at memories, and special moments, and celebrations even, you know, we take time to, to remind ourselves of how short the lives that we have are. And it's because of this idea that we only have so much time that it makes things that happen inside of our lives special. If you could live forever, the menial things you could do every day would be less special because you would do it again and again and again and again. But there's something about the word moment. We just had a moment. There is a moment in your life that just passed that will never happen again. And because of that, it has value. Now, I know it sounds a little bit sad right now, okay, but there is the other side to it. As Christians, one of the biggest hopes that we have is that we have an eternal hope. One of the biggest themes of Christianity, of this, you know, the gospel of Jesus, is that we have a hope that there's something beyond this world, that whether you live 
five years, 50 years, 100 years, it doesn't matter because there's something more beyond it. There is a promise of more time, limitless time. But what happens in this is that whenever we receive Jesus, we understand that we don't need to fear time anymore. We don't need to, you know, to fear death anymore because no matter what takes place in this world, we have something better beyond it. But there's still something about time we have to understand. You have to understand that there is something that you can offer God. There's something that you can give Him, something you can, that you can bring to Him that you will only be able to do on this earth in this lifetime. And that's your time. We're connecting some dots here, but stay with me. I promise it's important. So what happens is this, okay? You have the most valuable commodity is your time. And it's a gift that you will never be able to offer Him in heaven. You will never be able to retake moments and offer them to Him again in heaven. There is a form of worship that can only be done here. And with your time, with your moments, there comes other things. There are circumstances, there are things that surround our moments that we can only experience in this world, in this life. You will never experience pain when you are reunited with Jesus. You will never experience hurt or difficulty or fear or confusion. All of these circumstances, these things that affect us, will not exist when we are united with Jesus. So what that means is this. There, are, there is a form, there is a high level of worship that you will only ever be able to offer God in this life. There is something of such value that you will never be able to give Him beyond this life of yours. If you guys have your Bible, let's go to 2 Corinthians. I promise you that we will lighten up a little bit here pretty soon, but stay with me until we get there. 2 Corinthians 4. Chapter 4, verse 13. We're going to read a few verses here, so just kind of stay with me. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present, a, and present us with you to himself. Stop for a second. Again, it's this understanding that as Christians, we know that there's a hope beyond this. So the, so the pressure, the fear, the worry is lifted because we know that in the same way that Jesus was lifted, was resurrected, the same way he defeated death, we're going to defeat death. So continue, verse 15. And all this for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. They're talking about just the difficulties of their ministry and things they're going through. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. First of all, in verses 14 and 15, he establishes exactly what we talked about, okay? The pressure's off because we have this hope. We have proof. The fact that we have seen a physical human being die and then overcome death, that is our hope. 
In the same way that God had the power to take Jesus and overcome death, overcome time, and to take him to a better place, it's going to happen with us. With that in mind, he goes down to verses 17. And he's talking about these difficulties, these circumstances, okay? Things that are affecting him that won't affect him when he's, re- when he's with Jesus. And he says, because of that, he says, because I'm going through difficulty, because I'm experiencing pain and fear, confusion, opposition, because of that, our light and momentary, there's that word again, moment, our momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far, far outweighs them all. And remember, the whole context was offering thanksgiving, offering worship. So what's all that saying, Devin? Here's what it's saying. As Christians, we understand that it's not about judgment to fear when it comes to time, but understand that every single moment we have the opportunity to begin storing for ourselves things in heaven. Is that clicking yet? Every moment... I experience pain, doubt, weakness, fear, money problems, marriage problems, depression, doubt, guilt, whatever it is. In these moments, I have the chance to stop in the middle of these momentary circumstances and create for myself an altar to worship the Lord. When I do these things, when I seize the moment and I stop and I offer to Him a gift of my time, in a gift of praising in spite of opposition, there is such a value that this blesses the heart of God so much that there is a treasure being stored for me on the other side of this life. Is that clicking yet? You have to understand that what moments are special to you? in your life. When you look back at memories, you're, you're thinking about moments. The reason a memory is important is because there were things that happened in that point in time that have never happened before and won't happen again. That's why it's a memory. That's why it's special. When your, chi- when your firstborn child was born, when you held them in your arms, that moment seared into your heart and to your mind. Why? Because it's special. It won't happen again. Everything that's surrounding that moment, everything that led to it, everything that will happen after it is so important because it's the only time it will happen. It makes it special. And so we mark that moment. In the Old Testament, what they would do to mark moments with God is they would build altars. They would build something, whether it's some rocks or some rubble or a temple, to mark the fact that there was a point in time where all of this junk led up to this moment where all of these good things met and God showed up. We're about to connect it. Stay with me. We're almost there. So what happens is this. What happens is there are moments in your life that become special because there's an action, there's an expression of love that you make that's so much specialer. Specialer. Forgive me. I needed lots of coffee this morning. I don't know what is wrong with this morning, but I was under it. Specialer. Something that makes it specialer. Who here, who here in your marriage is the constant, I love you? Who's that? Who's the one in your marriage who's constantly saying, oh, I love you? Who is it? Again, like there's always one. In high school, there's two, but that's not even real, right? But you know, in marriage, there's always one. There's one 
Okay, there's the one. Bill. <laughs> that, that makes sense. Jitty? Perfect. It's me in our marriage, okay? It's me. She's not the I love you all the time. It's me. Oh, I just love you. I just love you. Now, there's something, there, there's something about that phrase that when it's coming from the, you know, the person who says it all the time, there's something that makes it trivial a little bit. I mean, let's just be honest, okay? Are there ever times where your spouse says, oh, I love you, and it just kind of, oh, great. That's awesome. I've heard that 10,000 times now. But there's something about that when it's done in the right circumstances that makes it hit heavier. Where the exact same words, the exact same act of love that I'm showing my spouse because I do it so often, sometimes it doesn't really mean much to her. Pray for her, guys. Anyways, um, but there are moments where the circumstances make it special. We'll even change that word. How about the, who is the I'm sorry person in your marriage? There's always one person who's quicker to apologize. Who is that? <laughs> sometimes it's the same person, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I won't even say who it is. Okay, it's me. And it's me. Some people just know how to hold grudges, and other people, you know, just more like Jesus naturally, you know. Amen. There we go. Okay. Okay, so there are moments where when, when there's been such conflict, such strife, you've been fighting if you're really good for maybe five minutes, if you're really honest, maybe five weeks, okay? And there's that moment where there's such a tension and neither person wants to give in, but there's someone who says, you know what, I'm sorry. And because of the circumstances, because of the pressure and the pain and the confusion surrounding that moment, what you did in the moment has so much more value. Does it make sense? Yes. Okay. We're making something now. Okay, we're good. All right. There's something about what surrounds us in the moment we choose to worship that adds such value and worth to it. Now, specifically, the ministry of Jesus, the accounts of the ministry of Jesus, the Gospels are made up of a long sequence of people who interrupted Jesus. I'm not sure... I'm not, I'm not sure if you guys have read the Gospels a whole lot, but when you do, all of a sudden you start noticing that there's, he can hardly finish a sentence without someone interrupting him, okay? The most interrupted man in the history of the world. But the ones who got the most attention were the people who understood how to make a trivial moment a moment of worship. You see, a woman with an issue of blood who, you have Jesus sharing his life right now. You know, he's, he's walking with the disciples through a crowd. There's people, you know, everyone's bumping up against everybody. It's just an average day. They're just walking from one special thing to another thing. It doesn't seem like a special time. It just seems like an average moment. But there's someone who seized the moment and made that moment stand out in history. There's a woman who chose to crawl through the crowd and to reach out and just touch his garment, his robe. And because of this, because understanding the circumstances, it might not have been a special moment for anyone else, but it, it was made special by her because she seized it. I want you to understand that there are 
thousands of moments that go through every day that feel ordinary. But you can make any moment a moment of worship when you stop. Let me say this. You can worship God with so many things in your life, but if you're not worshiping with your time, you need to start over. Do you hear me? I don't care how much you tithe, you give. I don't care how much you, you know, how much time you spend in the Word, how hard you try to be perfect. If you do not make time where you are doing nothing else but focusing, communicating, fixing yourself on Him, you need to start over. Because there's nothing more valuable you have to offer God than your full attention in that moment. Than your time. If you guys have your Bibles, let's go to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. We will start in the first verse and kind of read on through. This story here happens three times. Um, it happens in Matthew, Mark, and John. Luke also has an account of this, but it's so different that some theologians believe it's a separate occurrence. Whether it is or not doesn't really matter to us, but what matters is that it's so important that it is mentioned in all the Gospels. This is towards the end of his ministry, okay? He is just, he is he's approaching, he is almost to the point where he is going to be led to the cross. So again, the hour is dire. Matthew 26, verse 1. So when Jesus, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. So then the, the, the chief uh, priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of, of the high priest, whose name was uh, Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there might be a riot among the people. Pause here for a second. Understand, the reason that this is added is because it's important to understand the circumstances, what's surrounding about, what's surrounding the event that's about to take place. So understand that the order, the final decision to kill Jesus has just been made, okay? And so the next following thing is this, verse 6. So while Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the, when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price. This is killing me. I don't want a handheld microphone. Ugh. Stephen, quit laughing at me. I'm trying my best. Fuck him, Without an arm or something. I don't know. It's terrible. Okay. Back to reading. Like I said, I need some water. So, um, <laughs> so she brings this thing. She pours it on his head. The disciples are now complaining. So aware of this, Jesus said to them, So why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor will always have with you. You'll always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body... She did to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And of course what follows is 
We see Judas leave the table. He goes out to sell Jesus out and to, of course, to start the events that follow. So understand this, okay? It was not known by all the disciples, okay, that, that this moment was so dire. It was not known by, the, by his, his closest friends that he had, he had just received an order to be murdered. But there's something about this woman to where she was able to seize this moment and to make an act of worship that so blessed the heart of God. This, this, this perfume that she brings, we understand that it was worth about close to a year's worth of wages. And from the understanding, if you kind of do the homework here, it's argued that she might be a woman of the night, okay? And so that's a lot of wages, okay? She, is, she has brought something that means a lot to her because this perfume was owned from, for people who had lots of resources, obviously people who were rich, but the only other people who owned this were people who were prostitutes. Because at that time, there weren't showers, there weren't ways to clean yourself up, and so it, it was good for business to smell good. Okay, so she was not just offering, you know, something that costs a lot of money. She was offering her ability, you know, to make money. She was, in essence, handing over her old way of life. Did you get that? She wasn't just offering something that, that cost money. She was, in essence, offering over an act of promise, saying, I'm leaving this for you. What's interesting about this moment is that, you know, we see this setting with Jesus all throughout the Gospels. He's always at, he's always at some sinner's house. He's always got some really, you know, some jerks there trying to, you know, you know trying to mess with them and trick them and catch them. He's, he does this all throughout. It looks like just an ordinary night. But there's something about the night that makes it special. And again, it's just this ability for us to understand how to seize a moment and how to worship Him in it. So when you understand the value of the moment, the value of your time, the second question is, what are you willing to do? How far will you go? What will you offer to make this moment of great value. If you guys have your Bibles, we're going to go to Second Samuel, the sixth chapter. Now, the, uh, the surrounding text is really important here. Um, so what David has done, he's gathered 35, 36,000 men, and he's gone down to get the, the Ark of the Covenant. Understand that uh, to the Jews at this moment, the Ark was the physical embodiment of the presence and the favor of God. Okay? Now, the Ark had been missing for many years. It had been stolen. And when his army went up to retake it, there was a great celebration, but someone made a mistake, and that person touched the ark. They were struck down dead, and so David kind of got scared. 
So he finds, he, he finds some poor sucker, he drops the ark off at his house, and they leave. Kind of odd story. But what happens here in verse 12 is he's told now that he drops it off the home of Obed-Edom. He sounds southern. I don't know. Oh, at the home of Obed-Edom. And so when he drops off this guy's house, all of a sudden this guy's family and his flock begin to get blessed. So now David's hearing about the blessing. He's saying, okay, I messed up. I should bring it back home. So he takes the men again. He goes out to Obed-Edom's house. And so now he's taking it back into Jerusalem. It has been missing for many, many years. And so here's what takes place. Verse 12. So he went out there. They're singing and dancing. Verse 13. Um, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Verse 14, here's a really uh, interesting part. Swearing in ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw... King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. She despised him in her heart. That's a whole other sermon right there. Verse 17. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people. And if you go down to verse 20, here's the interesting part. So when David returned home, to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half-naked in full view of all the slave girls, of his servants, as, as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me <laughs> rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me the ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. So, we see again an instance where a, I don't know, we see this person who's able to seize the moment, and he's able to do something special. I keep getting texts from really special people while I'm up here talking. What happens is this. When I'm up here, when I'm holding the microphone, I start sweating more. Have you guys noticed I'm a really bad sweater? Oh, it kills me. And so if I can't have my arms loose, it starts distracting me. I get very bothered. I just want to yell at people. Like, Zach, make it 50 degrees in here right now. And he can't do that. But, um, I, I, yeah, really bugs me. I'm, I'm going to punt this thing out, I think. So here's what's going on with David. David shows the ability to understand things that other people don't. He's able to, he's able to see spiritual things that, that most people see as normal things. And one thing he sees here is he sees an opportunity to bless the heart of God. And so what takes place here is that he, he does the first thing that we understand. He's able to seize the moment. Okay, we've already talked about this. But he seizes the moment. He understands everything surrounding the moment. And he begins to worship and praise the Lord. He begins to lead this entire parade, if you would, of bringing the Ark of the Covenant. 
And he's dancing and singing and he's yelling and all these things. But understand why this is special. Understand that when we worship, one of the first things of value is that moment. It's, it's being invested in understanding that the value you're bringing is by setting aside time where he is the only thing that matters. But here's the second thing that takes place. When we begin to set aside the moment to worship, it becomes a question of what manner are we going to worship him in. Does that make sense? So now it's about setting aside the time. Now we have to figure out, in what manner, what am I going to bring? What has value to him? Let me answer that for you. What has value to God is always the thing that you don't want to let go of. Did you hear that part? It is a good thing for you to come into church and to sing songs. It's a good thing for you to do things that come easy to you. It's a good thing for you to pray the way you like to pray. It's a good thing to worship the way you like to worship. But there, there is an even better thing to worship, to pray, to pursue, to offer to God things that do not come easy to you, that are not comfortable, that you do not want to do. I do not want to have this microphone, but I'm doing it. Because I will not stop. I will talk about it all day long. Hey, you in the corner. I'm telling you, man. My family talks to me the whole time. The whole time I'm up here preaching. You guys can't even hear them, but they're whispering to me the whole time. There is something about choosing to worship God and to pursue Him, to offer something to Him that you don't want to do that has value. In your marriage, what things does your spouse always want the most? The answer is probably things you do not want to give or offer the most. Agreed? Come on, me. Come on. Yes? Yes. The things that have the most value are the ones that... that are the most difficult, the ones that take the deepest sacrifice, the ones that are just, goodness gracious, the ones that don't come natural to us. And so in this moment, understand that David is not a shepherd boy anymore, okay? He used to be a shepherd boy. He used to be able to dance and sing and play his little harp, whatever it was he played. He knows right. And it didn't matter because there was no one around and he was nothing. He was the lowest of the low. He had no audience. It was just him and the Lord. But things are different in this setting. The circumstances around this moment are not the same as they were then. And so what used to be the highest act of worship whenever he was tending the sheep is not the highest act of worship he has now. What he has to offer God now is something he never could offer back then in that moment. He has dignity now. He has status now. He has authority. He has respect. He is now a king. He is now a famous warrior. He's a famous general. He is the most exalted human being of his entire culture. He has something to offer God he could never offer over there. There's something that I guarantee you he did not want to let go of. And so in that moment, the highest form of worship he could do was to humiliate himself. What's he say to his wife? What's the, what's the last line? He says, um, oops, I want to know one. He says, I will be humiliated in my own eyes. 
Is God after you to humiliate yourself? No. But in that moment, it was the highest act of worship he could offer. He seized the moment, and in that moment, he was willing to give the highest offering, that thing that his hands wanted to hold on to the tightest. Here's what all this means for you guys, okay? Here's the first thing. How many moments do you make in your day with the Lord? How much time do you set aside and stop and just acknowledge and spend time with Him? Anybody, spit it out. One second, one millisecond, five hours, 20 minutes. Come on, spit it out. What do you do on your average day? Ooh, you are a saint, my friend. Ten minutes, we're like, you know, your phone's not out. You're not working on something else. You're not doing anything else. You are solely devoted. This is your time. Ten minutes. Anyone else? Come on, brave enough. Anybody else? Really? Ten minutes? You too? Are you kidding me? So a tenth of a tenth of a tenth of a tithe of your time. That's good. That's actually, that's probably far above the average, right? The first challenge is just that. It's, it's, it's training yourself to stop and to be present with the Lord. Some of the mystics used to call it practicing His presence. Learning to be present with Him even though there's other things around you. How to train yourself to just freeze to put everything else on hold and to be fully present with the Lord. This is one of the first most practical forms of worship that we should all learn. It, it, this entire series has seemed a little bit, you know, just overly spiritual or, you know, things that just are hard to, to apply. Here's one that everyone can apply. Learn to make time. Whenever I was younger, I think, I, I think probably even before I was married, I used to wake up every morning and, and I had this whole, like, five-minute, ten-minute thing. I'd wake up and, you know... First feeling is ugh and boo and you know all that kind of stuff. But I would wake up and go, Father, I just thank you for this day. And I would spend the first five, ten minutes of that day just being present with him. I didn't care what I had to do. I didn't care if I was late for college. I was probably calling college then. I didn't care. I was gonna stop and be present every single day. I was gonna start my day by being present with him first, by offering the first of my day to Him. That's the first challenge. And again, it's not something that has to be so concrete. It can just be random. But the point is learning to do it. Because there's something about learning to seize the moment, understanding that this is an offering I can only give you here. I will only have today, today. I only have now, now. And I can either choose to give it to you or to give it to someone else. And so when I choose to give it to you, it means something. And it changes things, too. When you begin to have this approach and understand that, you know, I mean, just your time is so valuable. One of the biggest things that I do encourage you to do is just to begin to evaluate where you're offering your time. And the people and the things that matter most in our lives... Those should take the biggest chunks of the time out of our day. And if that's not the case, we need to continue to seek the Lord and say, how, how do I 
pull my time away from the things that have me now and invest them in the places that they need to be. Once you begin to master this ability, you know, to learn, just to, to make time to seize the moment, the next question is, how far will you go to give him something of worth? This morning, the question for you is this. What is it this morning that you know that you don't want to let go of? Is it control? Is it offense? Is it a plan or a dream that you have? Is it, is it money? Is it, is it dignity or pride or fear even or hurt? You'd be, you'd be shocked how many people have become so used to being in pain they're unwilling to, to let go of it. What happens is when you learn that every ordinary moment can be an extraordinary moment if I choose to offer it to the Lord. When you learn how to take, to seize a moment and to pair it with that thing that you value most in that moment, there's something extraordinary that you have to offer God at all times. I'm trying to make this hit home. Let's do something practical. How about that? On a Sunday morning when you walk in and you hear music, what do you naturally want to do? Come on, someone say something. Nothing, or, or sing, or, you know, tap my foot, or what? Come on, somebody. What do you want to do? When you walk in here on a Sunday, oh, dance. That's what I'm talking about, Jan. Oh, we have, like, sections, you know. It's like, here's the dancers, here's the singers, here's the leg slappers. Man, you guys, Lord have mercy today. Dance, what about uh, singers? Anyone, any singers? That a way, Steve, I like that. What would you say? Be present. Well, there you go, just going on, you know. All spiritual on us right there. Be present, I like that answer. What's the last thing you want to do on a Sunday morning when you walk in? Who should I ask? Roy, what's the last thing that you want to do on a Sunday morning when the worship's playing? Oh, you shouldn't have answered that on us, my friend. Shouldn't have answered that on us. We can arrange that. The Spirit of the Lord is speaking today. We need to Brother Roy. Come on now. Okay. But do you see what I'm talking about? It's not this big... Super lofty thing. It's this simple choice you make every single day. Will I offer this moment to him or will I give it to something else? If I do offer it to him, how much will I give? Am I going all out? Am I going a little bit? Well, you know, I just, I'm here. You know, this is kind of my favorite song. I'll sing a little bit. Well, I might raise my head a little bit. Well, I might start moving my hips. <laughs> Getting dangerous in here now. Bring out the flags for you guys. Some of you guys like flags. Oh, we're about to leave this church. Oh, my goodness, guys. It's, it's not that complicated. It's very simple. It's learning to give him our full attention in the moment, seizing that moment, and making it an act of worship. And it's not always a spiritual thing. I mean, 
One of the most spiritual things that Jesus did was invest his moments, his time, his precious earthly time in people that no one else would give time. The fact that, that this entire scene of worship where she brings in, you know, this, the alabaster jar, this happens at a leper's house. What in the world is he doing at a leper's house? Have you ever read the Bible and said, what is that? He's not supposed to be at a leper's house. <laughs> That's one of the biggest acts of, of, of love and of worship we see in Jesus is constantly choosing to invest his time in people that no one else thought was worth their time. Every moment can be an act of worship. That's the whole point. The whole point is as you learn to take moments, I'm going to take a minute here, I'm going to take 30 seconds here, I'm going to take you know, 10 minutes here. When you start doing that, all of a sudden, you are learning to be sensitive. Because He's always with you. He's always near. You just don't remember it. And when you begin to take the moments, you begin to train yourself. You begin to be aware of how near He is. When you begin to take moments and to give Him everything you have in the moment, it becomes something that you begin to train your heart and your mind to do. If I had Roy come up here and sing with me, which I won't do to you, Roy. You see his face like, I will snap your neck. She saw that face. It's beautiful. Okay. So if I was to have Roy come up here and sing, it would be a train wreck for both of us, I promise, okay? But if I had us do it every single Sunday, it's the Roy and Devin segment, okay? We're going to be here and worship the Lord in spirit and truth, just not in tune, okay? If we came up here and did that every Sunday, it would be painful and awful the first time. The second one would be rough. The third would be rough. But, all, I mean, it, it might take a couple years. But, the, but there will be a moment where it becomes easier. It's second nature. All right, I'll do it again. This thing that once was such a sacrifice becomes, hmm, it's not so bad anymore. And what takes place in, in you is when you begin to seize the moment to stop, to offer it to Him, and to offer yourself fully, all of a sudden, this thing that was so difficult for you begins to become natural to you. Is it making sense now? If you grew up in a Pentecostal church, okay, it is not crazy for you to see people sprinting around the room and screaming and blah, blah, blah going on, okay? If you grew up in a not Pentecostal church, it's a little bit of a stretch for you, okay? And it takes, it's just all about, what, you know, how we are conditioned. We, we, have to, we have to train ourselves, okay, to pursue God. Oh, my goodness. This week, I encourage you just to continue to ask yourself, when you stop, when you take that moment, when you, when you take 30 seconds, you ask yourself, what can I give him right now? Whenever I was younger, I used to do this all the time. And it really led to some very interesting stuff. It started out, me alone in my room in the morning just kind of praying. And it, it transitioned into Sunday morning. Where in the old, you know, back when I first started, I was just comfortable doing this number and singing a little bit. And then all of a sudden, one day I'd, you know, be more comfortable doing other things. And then it, it, it transferred to something even more special. It transferred to, you know, I'd be in the airport about to get on a plane. And I would stop and just begin to pray and talk to the Lord. And I would say, what can I offer you right now, Lord? And then all of a sudden I'd see someone across the room. That's what I want. I want you to go talk to them. 
okay. <laughs> and it's hard the first time. It's scary, but again, do you see what I'm talking about? It, it, it begins to go from this, such a, a simple practice. It, it begins to transition me into a lifestyle of being present with the Lord. And everything I do is an act of worship. The way I treat people, the way I speak to people, where my thought life is, everything becomes an outflow of my worship to God because I'm training myself to be present with Him. Does that make sense? Nisa, I want you to come up here. Play that last song that you guys are playing on. What's that called? You're in control. You have control. I am super bad with lyrics. Who else is bad with lyrics? No one. Okay, well, then I guess you don't understand what I'm talking about. If you guys would stand with me, here's what we're going to do. Whether it's David, you know, stripping down to his undies and dancing, or it's or it's Mary walking into the room and just taking the most valuable thing she had and offering it in that moment when no one else is worshiping. Whether it's Moses understanding the importance of the moment and insisting keeping his arms raised, it doesn't matter what the example in Scripture is. The people that we remember, the people that we talk about today are the men and women who seize the moment and understood the value and the importance of worshiping God in every circumstance.